Hello and welcome to The Go Creative Show, a podcast for filmmakers. My name is Ben Consoli and today we speak with Todd Ben Hazel, John Matishak, Ricardo Diaz, the cinematographers for season two of Winning Time on HBO Max. And I am so, so excited to have these guys on. I am a huge fan of season one and season two. It's just a fantastic show, mixing formats and 16 millimeter, eight millimeter video cameras, film, it's, it's all over the place. And if you haven't seen the show, I highly recommend you do because it is just a feast for the eyes. And of course the acting and storytelling is just perfect. It is truly one of my absolute favorite shows and I cannot wait to talk to these guys about it. Uh, all things Go Creative Show at gocreativeshow.com. And please, please don't forget to subscribe to us on YouTube and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. YouTube is a great way to not only hear the show, but see the show. So you can see all of our guests and myself talking amongst each other. It's a really great way to experience Go Creative Show, and we hope you do if you aren't already doing so. Sharing is caring, so please let people know, your filmmaking friends, about Go Creative Show. And with that, I think we should jump right in, because we've got a lot to talk about and a lot of people to talk with. So let's dive right in with Todd, John, and Ricardo from Winning Time. So I'm here with Todd Van Hazel, Ricardo Diaz, and John Matishak, the cinematographers of Winning Time season two, which has really become season one was my bet was my favorite show at the time. And now season two, it's just even better. I really think you guys just nailed it this season. And I want there to be like 15 episodes. I'm kind of bummed that there's not going to be that many. But I love the show and I just want to welcome you to Go Creative Show. So welcome. Thank you guys for coming on. Happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know if that's because I'm on a delay or everyone's like, who's talking first? Yeah, I think it's, I don't know. I think I just like honored to be here with, with my friends, Rick and John. Um, so this is fun. It was really cool. Let's, let's talk about kind of the way that you all collaborate on the show because um, you know, sometimes there are shows and cinematographers come on and they shoot every single episode and there's no breaks. Sometimes shows will do it in blocks where one cinematographer will be paired with a director, do maybe two or three or four. How does it work on Winning Time Season 2 between the three of you? Todd, fill us in on this process. Uh, I mean, I feel like the collaboration was all of us uh, like singing and laughing and texting and just like uh, propagating joy <laughs> across the different sets and preps and office rooms for a couple months. I mean, I think, I don't know, it was all, how do you guys think it worked? I feel like for me, it was just like a constant process of sharing what we were excited about and like, like a completely open platform sharing what was going on between episodes. And, you know, Rick, you shot my episode. So like it, like while I was shooting, we were prepping and I, John, you were prepping for months while we were, it's just like this, everyone was kind of mind melding. I don't know. Well, let's go around the room. Who shot what? John, which episodes did you shoot? I've got, I guess what ended up being episodes four and five. Um, yes. Working with uh, Tanya uh, Hamilton. Those were, those were my episodes. And Ricardo, which episodes did you shoot? I did uh, episode Three, it was four at the time, but now episode three that top directed. 
Yeah. That's right. And I'd love to get into that because that leap from cinematographer to director is is certainly interesting to me and in our audience for sure. And Todd, I'm assuming you shot the remainder of the season? Yeah, I shot the first two, then I directed one with Rick, and then I shot the last two, I think is how it broke down. So because of that, we were all always, someone was prepping while someone was shooting and someone was testing some weird format that they were going to use for their episode. And then we were all looking at the tests. You know, it was like a, a constant, yeah, yeah. From the beginning, I feel like we were all kind of mind melding. But that's what this show always does. It also really, yeah. Yeah, It really helps that all of us kind of know each other by some way. Um, You know, Todd and I have have known each other for a very long time. And oddly enough, John and I have known each other for a really long time by complete coincidence. And so when uh, it happened that all of us were on it, it it was so easy and so natural to just be sharing immediately. And it was it just thanks to our friendship, like that was already built in. It, like that, like Todd said, that free flow of information. There was no ego. There was no any of that. And um, I think that really helped. Just and we all helped each other. John was part of my uh, sixteen millimeter anamorphic tests. He stood there, you know, and was my model. You know, we were all just helping each other out any way we could. Now the show has a very unique look. I mean, it's basically as mixed format as you can be. You have f- so many different types of cameras on the show and it it's 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 pretty intense. Like as you watch it, it's like you have to go with it or you may not like it. Like it's 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 an aggressive approach and I think I re- I mean for me it works and I just love the feel of it. I love the nostalgia of it. I love the mixed formats. But for people that aren't familiar with the show, how do you even describe this look? Hmm. Todd, what do you think? I would describe it as uh, a collage, like a maximalist collage of American cultural memory. And by that, I mean like we're kind of constantly being confronted with like different ways of seeing this time period, you know, uh, whether it feels like it's archival documentary footage or it feels like it's like really cinematic classic bravado or it feels like super stripped down, vulnerable, you know, fragmented piece of old memory. I don't know. It's a collage of a lot of different ideas, but it's like a loud maximalist approach. Yeah. Yeah, In this season. And yeah, John, tell me about how you kind of taken the look of season one, but brought it, you know, up a notch for season two. Well, I mean, I was such a fan of what, what Todd did in the first season. Like I was immediately just drawn to it. And so I think he was, I, for me, it was like stepping into big shoes of like, I love, I love what you've created. And it's like, how do we, how do we just kind of keep pushing it? And I think that's, you know, that's kind of echoed already is that like, we kind of just the sharing of, of references and even dailies and just kind of pushing each other and be like, Oh, what did you do? Like, okay, let's even go further. And so I felt like it was just constant, constant, like, how can we, push it more how can it be how can winning time be more winning time like how can it be more into itself which it's funny when you do that because of all the mixed formats and all the i say it's so aggressive like i love this idea of like these formats beat you into submission so if you don't like it you're really not going to like it but if it can beat you it like it just forces you to go with it you know and so that's such an interesting um i don't know mix of textures that it allows for for it to go somewhere kind of organically uh, with the story, with the characters. Cause I feel like that is such like the brashness of the time period too. Um, and so this idea of like a memory or what we think now of a memory of what this stuff was, you know, um, 
No, it's great. an inter- it's an interesting thought about the memory. And I remember Todd, you and I spoke, uh, speaking about this on the last time we spoke about season one. We had Mahi Malimar Jr. on there too. We were discussing the idea of creating memories in cinematography, and I loved it because it was like your memories are f- frantic. Like you, your memories are crazy. They're not necessarily linear. Things are all over the place. You're seeing things from different perspectives and different angles. And where this show is kind of all about nostalgia for that time period, I think the idea of creating memories through the cinematography is really unique. And I, do, I just don't know of any other show that does that. And I'd love to know from really all three of you where your inspiration came from for this new season. Did you have any references that you were calling on? Or were you just simply referencing season one? Um, Todd, we'll start with you and then we'll just kind of see where it goes. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, I feel like it's episode dependent. I feel like part of the DNA of Winning Time was that it was designed, the visual style was designed to take each episode and let that episode sort of like be what it wants to be, like its own little movie. And that's why like certain episodes from season one have looks that never come back. It was meant for one character's flashback or one character's story or that one moment. And so when I was trying to find other DPs to come in, that was the thing I was looking for is I wanted like brilliant artists that I love their work and respected them as human beings so that they could make the thing their own. It's not like a plug and play. You're not looking for people to just like do the style. You're looking for people to come and like make it their own, which is why like, the best decision I made on season two period is hiring these two guys is finding these two guys for sure. And I mean that like, because you need people. And it was with me last year. It's like, you need people who are truly filmmakers and are not looking to just be like, okay, cool. Tell me what to do. It's like, they read the script and they know the characters in the story. And then from there, they start using the paintbrushes that we've created to go do new things. I mean, I know like Rick, you created, we, there's a look in our episode that doesn't exist anywhere else in the show, you know? Well, let's talk about that because episode three, uh, Todd, this was your opportunity to direct an episode. Did you direct a se- an episode of season one or no? Nope. Nope. No. So, and was this your first, was this a directorial debut for you? Yeah. Of something this size for sure. Yeah, totally. Oh, yeah. awesome. All right. So there you go. Season, exactly. Round of applause. So, and so episode three of season two of Winning Time Todd, your directorial debut. Um, you choose Ricardo to shoot this season, this episode for you. Tell me about that collaboration because, you know, you're in some ways relinquishing some control over the cinematography. You now have to think from a different perspective. There must have been some growing pains going from cinematographer to director. Tell us about that experience. I actually feel like I felt no, honestly, no growing pains relinquishing the cinematographer role. I feel, I'd be curious what you experienced. Really. I was like, going to say, I was going to say the same thing. And I've always said that, uh, cause you know, I've always felt that Todd's just like, was kind of meant to be a director who really loved cinematography and the heroes and the, the, the figures that are in that world. Um, but I always, I always kind of told Todd and others, like, I think Todd's going to end up directing someday. So it was so natural for him. It there felt like there was no hesitation. He knew exactly what to do because he's a filmmaker. Well, yeah, why also- did you say? Why do you say that though, Ricardo? Like, what what is it about the qualities that Todd had that makes you say, okay, he's going to be a great director? Because there certainly yeah. is a different set of skills. Uh, Todd's superpower is his ability to listen to you. Like he listens and he knows how to respond with empathy and love and a, and a sense of belonging 
And I don't think that there's any other creature on the planet who requires that more than an actor. And uh, Todd's, and, and honestly, everybody, heads of departments and crew and everyone. So Todd slipped into that leadership role really easily because it, it comes from this place of joy and love and passion. And he's able to communicate it because he's able to listen and because he's listening and paying attention. And so when he's at that monitor and he's watching the screen uh, and he's watching a performance, he's dialed in. He, he's just he's a consummate filmmaker who just happened to choose cinematography as his like um, expression of it. But, but he, he was always fit to do this without a doubt, man. That's really, this is your, this is, well, go ahead, Todd. No, that's just really, I'm really profoundly, that's really beautiful for you to say. And I feel like I was only able to be free like that because of people like you, because like, I just tr truly trusted you and we had done the work together, man. Like we had done the trust work together and the prep work. And like, so on set, I would just like see you killing it. And you know, as cinematographers, you see everything. You look around, you're used to like, you see what's happening on set. So I would see what's happening. And I was like, oh, they've got it. Like they've got it. And I can actually just go over here and read the sides and look at these scenes again and actually just like be a director because I was watching it happen the way, not only that like I would do it, but just like the way that it needed to happen. You know, just like when you know you have each other's backs, you can do it. I mean, it's what I want from a director, right? When I'm a DP is like, you want that trust where someone's like, go, you know, like do the yeah. thing, you know? So Ricardo, this is, this is your, your, single episode of season two, you're working under another cinematographer now turned director. How do you kind of up the ante on your role? Because you, you've got, there's gotta be something inside of you that's like, you're always gonna do, do great work. But when you're working under a fellow cinematographer, there's a different level of understanding. And I'd love to just get your perspective on being a cinematographer for a cinematographer on episode three. You know, I've had uh, the good fortune of getting to work with several directors whose like roots were in cinematography um a horror movie i did a few years ago the director's you know his day job for many many years was as a cinematographer and um, on another tv show i worked on the director was a camera operator uh, and so I, I i i i always try to take no matter what director i'm working with i always try to take a little bit of myself away and just listen let me be malleable to the process of the person i'm working with so if they're really proficient uh, in talking about the tools of our craft, great. If they're not, then whatever gets the best out of them. So there was no, um, it was just really easy. It was actually quite simple to have that shorthand with Todd. One, because we're friends. And two, because he's, you know, created this show and this beautiful sandbox for us all to play in. So we just went straight to it. We just started talking about the script and the pathos in the script and what these characters were going through. In our particular case, we have this opportunity with, with Bird's origin story to communicate uh, what Todd has built into the show, which is this sort of nostalgic, this uh, collage of memory, you know? And so what was the opposite? What was sort of the, the other side of the coin to the Lakers pizzazz and flash? And if the show in season one, which we all love, is based in that 80s ectochrome sort of commercial style photography, then we just talked about, well, what's Bird's? What, how, how do we find that DNA and translate it to Bird? And then we came up with our own sort of visual language for that world by testing and by just like 
having bad ideas and some good ideas that ended up making um, the show. Uh, and that's really, that's it. You just, you talk a, the same way you would do uh, any director. You just sort of change the language based on their proficiency. And that was it. We just mm. had fun making sure that whatever we did was grounded in the DNA of the show, but then also the, the, the roots of the character. It has to be, or else, you know, we can do these big swings, but if they don't, if they're not rooted in something, they don't mean anything. And that's why the show works. It's because it's not just big and flashy uh, visually. It's because it's grounded in something always. I love that. John, let's talk about the type of formats that we used in season two of Winning Time. Because we mentioned earlier that it's mixed format. There's a lot going on. Can you talk us through the different formats that you used and maybe a little bit about how you created some sort of cohesion with them, despite them looking so different. Yeah, it's such a, um, you know, it's such a great tool in the toolbox to have all these textures and all these these different ways in which to create images that then inspire, you know, that then make you feel something, you know. And so we had obviously thirty five uh, millimeter film was our main two cameras. Then we'd have a sixteen millimeter. Um, that we would like change the gate on. Todd came up with this idea of like changing the gate to go to 12 mil instead of 16. So we're like cropping in on that. And then we've got eight, super eight, which um, I know we did sync sound with it. I'm sure they did a little bit of that last year. I know this year we really kind of were really playing into doing like entire takes on sync sound um, on, on super eight, which is a whole nother level of kind of um, memory or just creates a different emotion like you're almost not supposed to be watching it because you're like this is weird i'm used to seeing these like eight millimeter images silent with music or like audio put in after the fact but to actually hear dialogue and, and these performances on this super eight on this tiny little format um just super special and then obviously we had the ikigami camera uh which was from last season as well and then as the season progresses uh you know todd moved moved us all into like a vhs so it's like we have this other format to then play with and so yeah i mean we we throw these formats around but there's always um intention behind it you know there's always a reason you know there's um it has to be grounded in in what we're what we're trying to say because um it's not just an afterthought it's not just like oh let's get some video stuff or some eight millimeter stuff you know it's not just let's grab stuff for the edit let's let's really think about and and really um justin our kind of our, our c operator and our our second unit kind of man of many formats he really kind of leads the charge in terms of just for myself like coming into this thing and kind of reading these reading these you know but these look bibles and these like almost thesis papers on like what these formats mean um you know whether whether it's supposed to be historical whether it's supposed to be just straight emotion um and you and you in and, and when when it goes into the editorial and and you kind of see it on the other side like oh wow that really works in these these instances or these things here or there, you know, um, or whether we're choosing black and white or color. And that's a very intuitive thing at times. Granted, we have our notes, we have our shot list and, and we kind of know the plan, but we're also, I think that's the beauty of us all kind of being filmmakers first is that we're not afraid to shift and pivot and be intuitive with these formats at our disposal. If it feels right, you know, um, I remember at times going to the director Tanya and be like, oh, what if we do it like this? And then we would just do it like that. You know, it would just totally pivot, um, you know, uh, based on based on what was happening, based on what we're seeing out of these, you know, actors and the performances. So it's really, um, 
don't know. I feel it's one of those things that you kind of get the hang of it right when you've done 30 days of it, you know, and you really kind of in the zone of like, okay. And then it just mm-hmm. forces you to even push it further, you know, like there's a little bit of adjustment period, not going to lie between like, where do you put the 16, the 12, the super eight, the video, you know, all at one time trying to capture this stuff and also like move it up at such a fast pace and be efficient with these formats too. So I have to give it up to Dave Edsel and the entire camera team that just, I don't know how they kill it model formats, but they did. It's unbelievable. And it wouldn't skip a beat. You know, you'd be like, okay, give me the 16 handheld go. And you would just all of a sudden just, you'd be shooting that, you know? So, um, yeah, it's just yeah, a so really true, like, well, well, yeah. Yeah. It's we so- actually have a question on Instagram that's related to this topic from Michael Hennigan wanted to know, how do you, how do you decide when it's appropriate to cut to the eight and the 16 cameras of the show? And I think that question applies to all the different formats kind of open to the, to the room. Who wants to tackle that? I'd like to know when the, de- like, how is the decision made that this is the right camera for this scene? The way who wants to take it, it? It's it happens a couple different it happens at a couple different stages, right? Like I feel like we and the director in the shot listing stage have an idea of how the formats are going to be used for a scene, right? You, I'm sure you guys experience this where you're like, okay, cool, like we know that the main shot's going to be a steady cam, 35 shot, but then we're going to get this like, oh, that one beat that's really important for that character, we're going to do on 16 millimeter black and white for that one shot, and you write that down in the shot list, right? And then you're like, okay, and then this insert of a of a document that shows the guy they're going to draft, that's eight millimeter. Like that's a really basic breakdown, right? And then when you shoot it, like you were saying, John, sometimes you're like, nope, that totally doesn't work. You're like, great, that's not in black and white anymore. We're changing it. It's VHS. Get in there, you know? And then, so I feel like we play jazz on set and then we get, I always thought of it like we give all of these like almost like jazz tracks, like different multi-recorded tracks uh, or different paintbrushes to the editors. And then they start playing with it. And I feel like I, I always found like certain scenes, like the editors would find stuff that we either, not that we didn't intend it to be used, but I always thought we were like collecting a bunch of magical moments. And then it was up to them to choose which ones were right, you know, and like to continue playing jazz again. I don't know. It's, but then sometimes we would just straight up deliver them. Like it was quite obvious, like this scene only has, a, there's only one choice here, which is that like, it's like you were saying, it's sound sync eight millimeter and you can either use it or not, you know, but yeah, I don't know. That's another kind of form of letting go. I felt like we had to go through as DPs. I've just like, here's a bunch of stuff and this can be edited very differently, but no matter what, we kind of back all of it, you know, like, well, but I think it's, yeah, it's always, yeah, it's always grounded though. In I mean, just watching the first season and then seeing, you know, what we did together, Todd, and what John uh, has done and what uh, uh, Darren did in, in his episode. But like, it's, I feel like there's always this connective tissue of, you know, we're looking at something that the characters from their perspective could kind of only see, or if someone else in the room could kind of only see. It's not always necessarily their POV, but it's something that someone in the room would be looking at or pointing at. And so it has a point of view, it has a perspective, and it's part of that memory that like, oh, so, and then Justin, as, as John pointed out, Justin Cameron, who is the, the C camera operator, comes in and he brings, again, talking about letting go, sometimes Justin comes in with just like the best ideas because uh, he just knows that format so well about, okay, well, this moment, I would love to, Rick, you mind if I go and just grab this quick moment of when Larry grabbed that thing? I just want to be able to see that and we get a moment on that. You know, oh yeah, that wasn't on the shot list. 
just go get it. And then we'll be working on something. And Todd goes, what's Justin doing? He goes, oh, he's doing that. Oh my God, of course, absolutely. And tell him to do this too. And then it's just a back and forth and you, you, you let go, but it's always rooted in this sort of perspective of somebody in the room. I'd like to talk about the way that you approach lighting and shooting the basketball scenes. Um, we talked a little bit about this, Todd, last year. Um, certainly we can bring it up again with the with the larger group here. Um, I think what I'm most, well, I'll just kind of put it in your hands. There's, there are certain things that I'm most interested in, but I'll bring them up as we're discussing. But John, let's start with you. What is your approach to lighting and shooting the basketball scenes in winning time? Overall, like the idea of like recreating, right? Or the idea of capturing these basketball scenes within these arenas that happened so long ago. I mean, that's something that Todd and I really bonded with in some of our initial conversations. Like how do you kind of create this world that feels like we're never on a movie set or never on a TV show? We have just put the camera there in that moment in time and captured it. And there's, there's, sh- there's multiple shadows. There's, you know, it's shiny. There's reflections that kind of maybe you would maybe try to like manicure or curate in other things. But this idea of like, what is it, what does that feel like? Um, and so really just kind of creating that basketball arena from these practical lights, really. Um, it kind of started with that. I mean, that was with some of our early conversations about like, just how, how do you go about even creating emotion on something that is historical and happened. And you have all this like beautiful archival footage up too. Um, and also lit very flat. I mean, it's let's be honest, like a basketball game is not something you look at and say, wow, that's the most beautiful lighting I've ever seen. It's unforgiving. Everything's lit and you really have to, like, you don't have a lot of wiggle room to make it kind of dramatic because it's supposed to be realistic. So uh, what were some of the thoughts that, and what are some of the things and tools that you've employed to like give it such a cool, rich texture, but also have it feel realistic. Todd, you can take this one. I think the, the idea was that you set up lighting in the state, in this arena stage that mimics real stadium lighting. And then from there you can take that stuff and make it dramatic. You can hyperize it in a way like, so what you've got up there is all these Cineo R15 lights, right? Which are these like hard light LEDs, ellipsoidal LEDs that basically when you put enough of them up there, you get all these like crazy cross shadows on people and everything's hyper top lit, right? But in a hard way, like awful metal halides would do in the eighties. But then you've also got a bunch of movers around the perimeter and all those mover lights, we could adjust shot by shot live. So, I mean, I get, I feel like for me, like if we're in the huddle, for example, you'd say, okay, well, the huddle has the base lighting that's the arena, right? But then you'd say, okay, cool, for this angle, let's take those three movers that are in the back and just blast them at 100% and backlight the living hell out of this scenario. And then we would uh, tape um, silver reflectors on the floor underneath the players so that it felt like, again, it's still like motivated, like, stadium lighting that then bounces off the floor, but then it reaches a level of like hyper emotion because you've got, it's blown out and too bright up here. And then it's bouncing back way hard and electric under here. And then the players are covered in sweat. So it's like the whole thing becomes, I always felt it was like, we were like uh, taking realistic lighting that's ugly and like plugging car batteries into it and like hypercharging what was already there was like the, the feeling I had. I don't know, it was really fun for me because I feel like as DPs, especially like in our generation, like we're always going darker, 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 darker. And like, that's how you get to be bold is like, how little can you see? And I feel like on winning time, I learned that like 
the brighter the it is, there's a violence in that. Like there's a there's an emotion in like like Phil Light for me became so punk rock on this show. Like hard, shiny Phil Light, like lighting up people's skin and their the the moisture on their skin. And I don't know, it's I'm rambling, but like there's a shot in the original Blade Runner where he's in the ship, uh, Deckard's in the ship in the car, and he's flying in the beginning, and he's like listening to the thing, and he's heading to the police station, and a top light comes through this top of his spinner. And it's just like the hardest arc light ever shot by humanity. And it just blows out the top of Harrison Ford's face. And I remember like seeing that and just being like, now that's cool. Like that's punk rock. Like it's like blowing out, you know? So I feel like so much of winning time, especially season two was about like pushing how far those highlights could just go, you know? So I don't know. I think there's a lot of room. Well, to your, to your point too, I think it's the, it's, it's the, the tools that he uses. The biggest one is film. Film allows you to put that kind of light on skin tone and just eat it up. And it, 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 it just rolls off into those highlights so wonderfully. And then in the midtones, it just soaks it up in a way that just looks different. Uh, and, the, and the curve we use, the, the, the S curve we use um, on top of that uh, to give it that ectochrome look does such beautiful things in mid-tone skins as well, especially darker skin tones. So I think that first tool you're talking about to, to shoot something with this much light in those stadiums and give it that, um, that winning time look, it starts with the film, period. That it, was, that it was shot on film to begin with is the first bit of that secret sauce. Yeah. Yeah, I was curious if you're actually blowing it out for real on set or are you just pushing it in post? Um, John, in your experience, are you just, are you letting it completely blow out? Yeah, you're, there's a there's a uncomfortableness that you have to get comfortable with, you know. I think you know you yeah. have to be humbled by the meter, um, and then you're and then you're like kind of backed up by the dailies, you know, where you're like, okay, we can push this, or oh wow, I should have pushed this more. Um, that's the thing, and so I think you know, as you kind of or as I you know, I remember like even after the first week. Uh, my first full week on on the show, you know, you start to kind of see the daily, you know, you see the emotion on set, you see what's going to happen. You just kind of, it's this thing that clicks and you're just like, okay, light meter kind of goes away and you start to see how it, how it all works. And then, um, so yeah, the, I, I found the more we, the more I pushed it in terms of backlight, top light, even just front light, you know, the more I was kind of rewarded, but it was a scary place. Um, you know, those first couple of days just being like, is this, I know this is what we're doing. I know this is what I love the result of. <laughs> physically do it and 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 put a hard, you know, put a hard source without any diffusion in front of these amazing actors and just blast them in the face, you know. Um, but yeah, that that celluloid that it just soaks it up. It's such a it's a refreshing reminder of kind of the the power of film, you know. It really is. Um, and so, yeah, it was, just I love that term. I love that term humbled by the meter. That should be your autobiography. That's like the perfect title <laughs> for, for a cinematographer's book That's and great. story. That is awesome. Um, yeah. Cause season two, it's like season one. I, I, I mean, something we talked about Todd in the last episode is just how did you even get buy on for the look? Cause it's so extreme for season one, but now you're in season two, like everyone's already bought into it. Now it's time to like, take it to the next level. And I, I, I'm so glad that you mentioned about pushing the highlights because as I'm watching this show, I'm like, this is different. Like I was kind of skimming through season one episodes too. And I'm like, it feels different. The season feels different. It feels, it's just as frantic. It's just as wild, but something is different. I couldn't put my finger on it until you just mentioned now that you push the highlights so much. And there is something so 
aggressive, again, we keep saying that word, about having that really harsh light. Um, and I just, it's such a great compliment to the show. It's just awesome. I really, really like it. Not even a question, just a, a fanboy statement. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about, I wanna talk about the the way that you approached um, filming the um, the basketball scenes. We talked about the lighting. I wanna talk about the, the camera choices, the movement in the scene. Um, you know, how many cameras you're covering this? Because like we talked about, Todd, in the last time you were on, you know, you're balancing between the actors and a whole bunch of stunt people that are where the real basketball talent is because a lot of these actors can't play. And um, you're sort of, you're, you really have a, a dance that you're doing between uh, bouncing around all of these different characters. Um, who, who can we start with? I guess we'll start with you, Todd, and kind of take it from there. But the way that you are approaching the camera decisions, the camera movement to really make those game um, and even practice scenes come across well. I mean, I think it's all prep work. And it, I know that all of us did more prep work on those basketball scenes than any, any prep I've ever done for a sequence in anything I've shot, period. And that kind of, I mean, it came down wow. to like breaking down the script with the director and really talking about what is the POV and what is the story we're telling inside these basketball plays. I mean, so we'd have meetings where we were t talking with the basketball coordinator and our showrunner and our writers and we would talk about like what is actually happening in basketball physically or in these plays. And then on top of that, what is the story we're telling in that play? So it's like, because once you know what the story is, then you know where the camera goes. I think it was, man, was it Eakins? I feel like it was someone else who said, they asked him, you know this is Rick, they asked this famous DP like, how do you know where to put the camera? And he said, that's easy, I just point it at the story. And I think that's so perfect because it's true, actually, when you simplify it down, it actually becomes quite obvious where the camera needs to go. Uh, so once you know that like this, the sequence is not, act it's actually about magic experiencing bird make a mockery of him during this play, then you know exactly what story you're telling and you know that, okay, great. So then we're going to shoot handheld through bird to magic. So it's tight eyeline there. And then we're going to watch bird from magic's position but then we're going to steal that pov and, and get in there and physically be there for the dunk so then you start talking about how to do that so from there it became then what tools do the thing and we had big rehearsal days where we'd bring in um our operators and our rollerblade operator john like and we would talk through every single every single shot of the basketball sequences like everything from the fancy basketball stuff to like the simple where is the coach going to stand during this part and we would map out physically what everything happens. We would iPhone video, rehearse all the different basketball plays, and then we would talk about what piece of gear is gonna be used for that exact shot. And then we would talk about the order that we should be shooting these things so that five to seven camera teams can work efficiently on the day so that we don't just get, like topple over each other. So we would figure out, okay, like we can do shot one, two, five, and seven at the same time. We can do it on two Ikigami TV shots and we can do it from one 35 millimeter shot in the crowd and one dolly shot. And then after that, we can move to, oh, well, we have this Steadicam that's already ready to go with the high speed camera. So let's do that next while we're switching out these things. You know, it's like a, it took collaboration, communication between every single department, you know, hair, makeup, wardrobe, extras, stunts, so that we could move on these very expensive, very stacked days. I mean, we only had what, nine, nine to 11 basketball days this season and we should have had 20, you know, it's like we just, so you have to do so many things in the day and there's so many extras and there's so many camera teams and there's so much coordination, the prep work that went into it. I mean, I feel like by the end, our days on those days were actually pretty smooth. They were like, 
we were shooting a shot within 30 minutes of call time with, you know, hundreds of extras and two basketball teams and like everyone in period costumes. You're just like, let's, you know, we go, the cameras are ready. So I don't know. It's uh, it took planning. Rick, had you shot anything like these basketball scenes before? My episode in particular doesn't involve uh, Showtime basketball. My episode involves um, uh, sort of the gunslinger basketball that Todd and I kind of talked about. Like, so it was a lot of Larry Bird in his recruitment period. So I didn't shoot any Showtime Lakers basketball. We shot a much more grounded version of that with Larry as he's playing amongst his friends in West Baden uh, and, uh, of course, at Indiana State. So um, my experience of the basketball scenes that were shot was very, very different. We approached it differently than, the, than that stuff. But um, I, I have basketball experience from uh, Stranger Things. So yeah, I've, I've shot a basketball, like, you know, in that first episode, there's a major basketball sequence and I shot that. So I felt very confident and ready to come in and tackle, you know, this basketball scene. And then it also takes place in the 80s. I'm like, I'm ready. And then like, oh, no, we're actually going to we're, we're going to be doing much more grounded work. I was like, OK, cool, 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 cool. Yeah, cool, cool. I'm, I'm not sad about that at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, how did you approach it? Well, first of all, I love that. It's like we need someone that can shoot a basketball scene and understands the, the aesthetics of the 80s. Check, check. I've got it. I'm your guy. <laughs> so you mentioned that you approached it differently in that origin story episode. Yeah. Um, episode three. How was it different? What did you do? Yeah, I mean, the whole sort of philosophy on Larry Bird's backstory, you know, was how do we, again, like I said earlier, we wanted the flip side of the coin. So it started with a different LUT. We had, you know, it was all that Larry Bird passed was 16 millimeter anamorphic. It had a Kodachrome LUT. We thought, well, what's the, uh, what's the other side of the coin to the Showtime flash? It's the sort of consumer Kodachrome of the 70s. And so that's where... The, the look of that period takes place. And so all of our other visual decisions, not just the basketball was like, okay, it needs to feel sort of like a spaghetti Western meets this Americana tall tale that is the persona of Larry. And that translated to the basketball. It was like, let's get in there. He's, he shows up to this gym in boots. So let's just get in there, handheld. Let's shoot it more grounded and a little more roughshod sort of his style at that time so it was it came from a much more uh, sort of grounded approach this we we definitely have him enter the scene sort of grandiose it's more this gunslinger we're low we dolly in with him we approach it uh, to start that way but then once it gets going it's just this rapid fire you know gunslinging um uh, scope uh, handheld it's all these sort of like you know, Larry's an enigma, right? So like the look had all these like bits of bits and pieces that made the whole. And so it was very different than the very, very controlled and very coordinated work that they do on the Lakers basketball, which, um, you know, that was the point. What is the opposite? Larry is sort of seen as this other side of the coin. And that was our approach, not just for um, the basketball, but for the whole episode. And John, similar question for you. How are, how did you approach your basketball scenes in your episodes? Well, I feel like so much of my episodes happened in the office. There's so many sequences and scenes between these, you know, as they're like, as the politics of like the behind the scenes. And so I always looked at the basketball as this way to really kind of build and, and show the scale of it, you know? Like, so if, 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 if 80% of our, of our episode is kind of rooted in these kind of the politics and the back and forth 
uh, of these characters kind of jockeying for positions and jockeying for being heard and, and, and their voice being uh, heard, then, then the basketball is a way to like to explode it and to show scale. And so I think that was like kind of where, where that was I guess where my head was at a lot of the time. It was like, okay, this is an opportunity to, to remind everyone of, of the stakes to make those scenes in the office even mean more if we can show show the scale and the stakes of, of these games. And so we I had the opportunity. We had one of our, I think in, in episode four, we did we had some basketball stuff that was in Salt Lake as well as, as the Forum, our Lakers home arena. So that was kind of amazing to be able to kind of like play with the two different looks and feel of the arenas. Um, and so, yeah, I think it, it just goes down to, to prep. And then within the prep to – trying to find more efficiencies within the day to be able to kind of just expand it and get more scope and, and kind of get those extra, those extra shots that you, they end up using in the editorial. You know, um, we have so much to get on the day. I feel like that was the, that was the common denominator is like, how can you make this more efficient and put the camera where we haven't seen it before? Because like Todd, you, you guys did such a great job on, on the first season. And so again, with this idea of like sharing dailies back and forth and looking at each other's work, and pushing the bar, I was just like, how can we push the scope in a way that we haven't seen before? Or just even just, just kind of just keep pushing, keep pushing to what I would want to see as an audience. Cause I was such a big fan of the show. Like I'm, so I'm just like, what else can I, what else can we show? Um, and that's the beauty of the Lakers and showtime is that it's flashy, it's brash. So it gives you the license, the creative license to just go big. Um, and, and a lot of the times it worked. And so we would do, you know, put these wide lenses on up close or just show, show scale in a different way, you know, cause at the heart of it, it is about these characters. Um, you know, and these, I guess these like real life journeys that these characters are going through, but it's, it's told within the scale of this huge, you know, um, sports arena, sports complex, sports history even. So it's like, it's just the balance of like making sure that those things feel earned and deserve these big explosive moments where we do see scale that like, we're able to then go into like a closet and have two of the, you know, or two actors kind of just go at it for like five minutes. And it feels that much more earned because you've just shown this massive scale and you get the, you get the idea that the world's on their shoulders. Cause at, at that moment in time, I feel like the world is on their, on their shoulders uh, between the coaches and the players and, and the stakes are that high. So just trying to do justice to that and just push it, you know, um, when in doubt, just put that wider lens on. And if, if it, if it's not an immediate, no, you just go for it, you know, <laughs> I love that. I, I want to talk for a minute about the way that you guys approached uh, Buss's character this season because he's going through quite a transition in the season. Uh, season one is all about getting control, getting success. Season two is all about keeping it. And I think the way that you approached filming and lighting him changed quite a bit in season two. And I'd love to just get a little bit, and this may, you know, every character is going through something as well, but. I find it the most interesting with him because he is now completely on the opposite side of the same coin where he's now trying to hold on to it. How are you going to maintain the success you got in that, you know, championship winning season? Todd, talk to me about the way that you approached Buss and his scenes and, you know, maybe even the way that you lit and shot him in particular. I, I think I thought of it like in season one, Buss is in full control of the camera and he, wherever he goes, the camera he's the star, you know, these steady cam shots where he's talking to camera and he's lit and he's glamorous. And it's like, he's in control of the narrative. And in season two, we got to flip that around and start like putting the pressure on him. So it was less like shots that are made for him that he gets to control and talk to us and more shots like 
pushing down on him, like zooming in on him slow and like using hard backlights and like creating silhouettes. There's a couple like really good silhouettes this year of him. I feel like smoking, stressing about all the things that are coming down on him in like just full backlight. And it's again, like, how can you be, how can you be violent towards a character, you know, like out of love as a filmmaker, but like, and I think with bus, it was about like backlighting him in this very aggressive way when we needed to, to backlight that smoke and like that things that he's going through. And, also breaking the skin. I mean, it comes down to like that winning time thing of like using hard light to make people's skin kind of those highlights really pop in a, in a harsh way. So yeah, I don't know. I think it was about like humanizing him and um, keeping up with the kind of uh, psychological like chaos that he's going through. There's a lot of shots in season two where instead of like moving, leading him while he's talking to us in control, we're following him and spinning around him while he's trying to gain control, but it's all kind of falling apart. So yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of things. It's interesting you talk about control because I think the scene where it's the most reflective of trying desperately to get control for Bus and also everybody involved is that press conference scene that I think mm -hmm. was, I don't know if that was two episodes ago or the last episode. I don't know which one of you shot it, but Not it was when they had to make the announcement that they were, that was your episode, John? Yeah. Yeah, but they had to make the announcement that they were once again transitioning coaches mid-season. I'd love to hear your your um, you know, your your approach to filming that scene because it was it, the exact it, it was it couldn't be more of a loss of control and desperately trying to get some of it back for everybody involved and it was such a great scene. Can you talk to me about the way that you shot that? Yeah, I mean that that press conference where they're kind of announcing the the changing of the guard, you know, that was something on paper where you just like you just you just I don't know, you you sink your teeth into something like that cuz you're like this is a A it's a historical moment, it actually happened and then B we're able to like kind of represent it in a way. And so for I mean for us it was it was always there's like th for for me there was always three different things going on. There's like at the same time there's like I think there's like three stories happening concurrently. You've got, you know, you've got a uh, bus and the press, you've got bus to each other, and then you've got Adrian to West. You've got all these different scenes going on. And so we kind of broke it down into these different, into these different kind of, um, I guess, interplay between the characters. And so we knew, you know, we just kind of, we knew we were going to capture it from the reporter's perspective. And then we were going to have some drama with that. And we were going to use our Ikigami camera to capture that. And then... We also were going to come into the sides and kind of make sure that we got this interplay between all the different characters. So it was just one of those special scenes where you capture a bunch of things and, and we shot so much on 16 and so much on, on eight and Ikigami. And then it just kind of comes together in the edit. Um, and I felt like at, at one point in time, we were doing so many different versions and so many different kind of focal links with, um, with John C. Riley. At one point it like, you really got the sense of like, these are no longer performances and they're like inhabiting these, these larger than life characters of the time. And that was when it got really special, I think. And that was, I think what was captured is that like, because the repetition of us doing the same press conference and you've got the reporters screaming at them constantly, every single take, it's like, at some point you lose the fact that these are actors and these are just incarnations of these larger than life characters that then we're just, trying to put the camera in the, the most interesting place to kind of to, to get those nuances. And I think that's like the thing that makes that that press conference interesting is like the nuances. Uh, it's those pauses. It's those, it's those those off angles, those low angles, you know, um, 
they really just kind of make it special. Like, I feel like there's like so many stories within that press conference that could be told. So, um, I was really happy with how that how that came out because um, John, you killed it. You killed it. That that scene is so good. Yeah, it's and that's, really special. I, for me, that's one of those things that that was like, oh, thank you guys. That was like, I mean, that was one of the initial shot. Like, I think that was one of the first looks from the first season that came out. Was that image of the press conference? And I just remember like when we first t- talked thought about you know working together it was like i hope i get a press conference you know i hope there's a press conference scene because i'm just such a, a fan of yeah kind of like just a fan of that nostalgia and what that means and because again that's this idea of like life heightened right that's just a heightened state where everyone's on edge and they're not quite sure what's going to happen or what's going to be told and and the stakes are you've got this room full of people you know just trying to get information out of you so yeah it's just a you know it's like how do you and then how do you create create drama and and really kind of i don't know achieve that cinematic scale even though it's a person at a podium and people in chairs you know how do you so i was looking at a ton of different references of different press conferences um either the historical ones that actually happened or just from film references as well like how can we just do justice to it i think that was the thing it was like how do i just like make sure that this scene kind of lives up to like how it should you know without 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 individualizing it. It should just be on its, it should live up there, you know? Um, I don't know. What was one of the references, John? I mean, not for press con, I mean, all the president's men was like a pretty big reference for me, like throughout because of all of our offices and the mundane stuff. It's like these mundane conversations seemingly, but the stakes are so high. And I think the use of fluorescence and use of flares, um, yeah, so I was kind of going back to films of like the I don't know sixties and seventies and trying to be like, how did they, how did they get gritty and what did they do and what did they get away with on celluloid? Because I feel like the you know, and that's the thing too is that like I think a modern aesthetic is like softer, softer shape, negative fill, and, and ours was very much no, let's just blast lights right at these people, you know, at these at these actors, and and it's, and it's just great. I love it. All right, last question for everybody. We'll go around the room. We'll start with you, Rick. Favorite scene of your episode? What do you think? Oh, wow. I'm, uh, I, I personally, I'd say between Larry and Red, uh, uh, inside Larry's uh, home in French Lick in the past, it's just those two, the writing, Michael Chiklis, who plays Red Arbach, is so good in that. And those are just, those are my favorite scenes. I, it's, the production design by Rich Doyen is so good, and the costumes by Emma are incredible. And you just get to point your camera. We shot that scene like it was pitch black outside. And so we just got to light it up and um, burn skin, uh, and but also find some shadow. And it just it let those characters occupy that space and do what they do. That's my favorite stuff. I mean, I was so thrilled to, uh, to just sit and, and watch it while it was happening. I, I don't know what else... Uh, else to say um but i'd say that was probably that was probably my favorite scene it, i felt i felt very much like i was shooting winning time while making that uh while shooting that that scene also todd uh conrad hall thank you conrad hall conrad hall said that yes how do i know where to what? put the camera easy i pointed at the story conrad oh hall. he okay conrad hall was i pointed at the story oh, okay that's, that's conrad hall there you go um john same question what was your favorite scene to shoot and why? I mean, obviously, I think the press conferences that, uh, you know, that one we just kind of talked about, that was such a pivotal scene. Um, but another one that really stood out was the whole sequence of Salt Lake. And, and 
in episode four when really um, Westhead and Magic kind of go at each other. They go at each other like in front of people and then that carries into like a locker room and into a closet. And then right when Magic, you know, right when Magic makes the decision to be um, to be traded or he wanted to be traded. Um, and so that whole sequence, I, you know, Rick, to kind of speak to what you said, like you feel like you're shooting winning time. You feel like you're in this heightened state. The performances are there. And so I think, you know, obviously that sequence was shot over days from the arena days to the different kind of sets we had. And so getting that kind of visual language and the continuity between them. So it feels like we're, we're handheld and we just move from the arena into the hallway, into the locker room, just to kind of get that cohesive. That was like the main goal of that to make it feel like it was all just one big sequence that you're watching in real time. And so, um, yeah, to see that kind of come together and be the finale of, of episode four was pretty rewarding. Um, awesome. Yeah. Oh, wait, can I amend mine too? And Todd, yeah. or you want to talk about it? The, the opening, it's not even a scene. It's just the opening, like three shots of John C. Riley in our episode where he's in, in bed in his house. Um, and we go in on him. It's, it's not even a scene. It's just like a few oh, shots a of John. It's a scene. It's, uh, sorry, I, that, that's just my favorite moment in our episode. You can, yeah. you can elaborate, Todd, but that, sorry, I'd like to just bring that up because it's, that's totally my it's everything winning time. It's, it's everything. I know. I agree. I think that's that sequence that opens our episode where magic and bus are watching themselves get beat by the Celtics on TV and it's, it's in Buss's bedroom and we're pushing in low on him and he's wearing his robe and the robes open. And no, I felt it. That's my favorite too. Cause I think it's like, it's everything that winning time wants to be, which is like, it's just joy. It's like, if you love these characters, if you love this time period, if you love the movies that we loved that made this show, like this is for you, you know, it's just like a delicious a feast. It's so funny. Yeah. I, I really, I feel like in that moment, I was like, we're getting, I can't believe we're getting away with this. Like, I can't believe all the decisions yeah. led us to be able to do this. And like, including the costume, but like, you know what I mean? For like Emma Potter and for John C. Riley to like decide together that that's going to be the look in the bedroom. And then for you to light it the way you did, like just like pure boogie nights, deliciousness. I mean, and that, you know, that low push in. Yeah, it's, it's just joy. It's my favorite. And it's everything that you said, Todd. It's like, it's aggressive uh, on this season on China. We push in, it's like we, we mix steady cam in a zoom. And then we're pushing in uh, low up at him. It's it's Dolly in a Zoom. Everything is moving at him and flying around him, and it's aggressive. And then like it's hard light. It's one that scene is lit with two units: one to backlight him, and one hard light smashing into his face. And the rest yeah. is Rich Doyen doing most gorgeous production design. And it's just that's winning time. Yeah, I mean, there's something I was thinking too, like John, like you're your sequence you were talking about is so incredible in your episode where the things are falling apart between magic and Westhead. And I remember, cause I just watched your episode when it came out what two days ago on Sunday. And uh, when they come out of the little room where they, the closet where they argued with each other and then magic comes out and it's like a steady cam shot that follows him down the hallway, sound design put in this like sound underneath in the base for that moment where he comes out. And I remember thinking like, whoa, like you guys, the storytelling here is so sharp from the script that like all the other artists that came after you picked up on those decisions and ran with it even further. And like that sound design is like a choice. Like everyone understands what the script was doing. The actors understood you guys with the camera, the editors, and then eventually sound. And like that moment to me just like is so strong for an audience. It's so, it's just really impressive. I'm really proud of you guys. It's amazing. Well, you got to select your favorite scene. 
now. Now it's all you. It could be okay, a favorite, favorite scene, scene to direct or a favorite scene to shoot. My favorite scene was to shoot is the opening uh, of the whole season where they're getting chased by like the white zombies through the arena onto the bus. Uh, there's a moment where everyone is like rushing the bus and like throwing food onto the bus and we're inside the bus. And there's just like, it's a sequence where like we're shooting a lot of it on VHS. And I remember seeing it was me or Justin was in the back of the bus with like a little VHS camera and everyone's outside throwing food on the windows and everyone's screaming inside. And uh, Pat Riley's like yelling, like, let's get the F out of here. And like a hot dog slams the window near Magic's head. And it was a decision we made on the day. And then when we came back to shoot the next sequence where you're actually like on the bus with them for doing dialogue, we now were, we had boxed ourselves in to doing the entire conversation with like a chili dog stuck to the window next to Magic's head. And I just remember these like long conversations with our art department about like placing this hot dog and like, okay, well the dog itself would have bounced off, but the bun would stay stuck on the window. And I just remember like, that's filmmaking for me, you know, like that's, and that's like the joy of like a show that is, uh, gives itself permission to be so serious and be so silly at the same time. You know, it's like, it's a very important scene of magic and Riley. And then there's this huge splattered hot dog bun just circle, you know, on the window by his face. So that's my favorite contribution to this season. <laughs> well, I am such a huge fan of this whole series. You guys are, you, you just nailed it with season two. And as much as I hate to say it because I am from Boston and I do remember those days, it is kind of it is kind of Boston. You guys kind of nailed it <laughs> the way Boston is. <laughs> it's like I don't want it to be true, but I do at the same time because I watch it and I'm like, hell yeah, that's exactly what it's all about. And I'm like, oh well, I guess we could be kind of dicks sometimes too, but anybody can. So good for you representing Boston the way that you did. <laughs> You guys are awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show. Um, we'd love to have you back. This was a lot of fun. I don't think we've ever had this many people on the show before, but it was great. You made it a joy, and the show is just so goddamn good, guys. And it looks so good, thanks to you guys. So thanks for being on Go Creative Show. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Ben. Thanks, Ben. All right. I want to thank Todd Benhazel, John Matashak, and Ricardo Diaz for joining us here on Go Creative Show and talking to us all about their experiences on Winning Time Season 2. I also want to thank Connor Crosby for producing this podcast. You can find him at ignitionvisuals.com. Dave Siegel for mixing and mastering and making the show sound so good. You can find him at siegelsound.com. And of course, all things Go Creative Show at gocreativeshow.com. Subscribe to us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And don't forget to subscribe on YouTube, where you can not only hear the show, but see the show. If you're interested in what I'm doing with my production company, BC Media Productions, and my band, Three Second Chances, there's a lot happening in the world of Ben Consoli, and all of it is there on Instagram, at Ben Consoli. I want to thank you guys for joining us, and we will see you next time on the next Go Creative Show, a podcast for filmmakers.